0: We ask you to bless this evening, bless those that will listen to it online. We ask you to be with us, guide us, lead us, show us what you'd want us to see from this section of scripture. In Jesus name, Amen. amen. Isaiah chapter. How about Jeremiah chapter thirty two? We're going to be starting at verse twenty six. This chapter starts out with Jeremiah being told by God to redeem the land that his uh, cousin is going to offer him to buy, and. He buys that land, he does, does what God tells him to get it all notarized and do all, follow all the laws and the rules. And then we ended last week with Jeremiah basically complaining to God, God, why am I doing this? Why am I buying this piece of property when we're going into captivity? And he's kind of forgetting that God had said, you're going to be returned after 70 years. But even at that, he's going to go into a whole new government, a whole new nation. Why am I buying this land? And we're going to have God's response here in verse 26. Verse 26, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the the God of all flesh, and is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal. And pour drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done evil before me from from their youth. For their children and for the children of Israel have only provoked me in anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a, as a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before your face. I'm going to stop there so God starts speaking to Jeremiah after he's complained why am I doing why am I doing this we're going to go into captivity and God starts out saying you know, I am the Lord the God of all flesh you know not just the Jews you know and this is something that's very important for even for us as Christians sometimes to keep in mind God is is the God of all flesh. Not just Christians, not just Jews, but all people he's the God of. Now they may not recognize him as God. They may not care that he's God. But all of that does not mean that he's not God and that he is sovereign and will have his way no matter what he he wants. And so he says, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah, I told you to buy this land. You bought the land. I'm going to restore it to, you, to your family when you come back. And is it too hard for me to do that? And this is something that is very important for us always to remember when things are looking dark and bleak and, and hard. God is still in control and he can make whatever he wants happen, happen. And that can be very difficult at times when we look around and saying, God, I don't understand anything that's going on. Nothing, nothing but bad seems to be happening. Job was in that predicament for a long time. Go, you know, things are just so bad, God. I don't understand any of this. I'm miserable. This is never going to end. And there are so many times when we get to that place where we're going, nothing seems like it's ever going to end. We get into physical pain, uh, financial trouble, you know, friend trouble, whatever it might be. And we're going, God, there doesn't seem to be an end. Israel, a Jer- Jerusalem is under siege at this point and it doesn't seem like it's going to end even though Jeremiah has given God's promise that it is going to end and that they're going to lose and the king was supposed to just give up, but he wouldn't and God said, there is nothing too hard for me. You know, uh, the king doesn't want to give up, but I'm going to give this city into, their, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And at that point in time, Jerusalem was one of the cities that was considered unconquerable. It had not been conquered since David took it from the Jebusites. And it had never been conquered for you know, almost a 1,000 years. It hadn't been conquered, and it was considered unconquerable. Babylon is going to be considered unconquerable until the Medo-Persians come in and, and conquer it. And so the king is sitting there saying, I can... Be, withstand this this city has never been taken besides which we got God's God's temple up there on the mountain on in the middle of this city we will never lose we will never lose we will never go into captivity even though you Jeremiah are saying that God says we are this is his city you know we haven't been following him but that's beside the point you know Uh, and this is kind of how people sometimes even in America think this is a nation built on God's principles You know, there's nothing that can, you know, we can stand up to anything because God is on our side. And we need to be careful with that mentality because God is not on the side of those that are against him. And our country is quickly moving against God. And we need to be very cognizant of the direction we're moving in is going to bring judgment. Jeremiah is telling the people, you've been moving in the wrong direction. You're going to have judgment. You've been offering, there's idols on every corner. He said in this section that we just read, you've been offering sacrifices on your roofs to all the other gods. And he says, you cannot serve these gods and expect God's protection, even though you think you're God's people and God's God's city. He goes, therefore, thus saith the Lord, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and he shall take it. They were, over and over, uh, Jeremiah has been telling them this city is going to be conquered if you rebel. He kept telling all the last three kings just surrender to him and serve him and God will let you keep this land. And But if you rebel, it'll be gone. And when we get to Zedekiah, he's finally, everything's been so bad, he says, nope, you don't even have a chance. It's it's over. You're, you know, Just surrender and, and be put into prison because your people are going into captivity. And... He did not want that. And in verse 29 says, And the Chaldeans that fight against cities, cities shall this city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it, burn it with the houses upon those whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal, and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. He says, This city is going to be burnt to the ground. And it was. Now I don't believe there, you know, from the description, there was no sit no house in Jerusalem that had not fallen to idol worship. If there was, at least one you know, one or two town- buildings would have stood. But you know, the entire city is going to be destroyed. When, when Israel fell during the Roman occupation in, in 70 AD, they burned it to the ground. <laughs> and it's been built up on multiple occasions and restored. But God says, this is my judgment. This whole city that you think is so special because my name is on it will be destroyed. And this is not the message the people wanted to hear. They didn't believe it. It, it. it went against everything that they had understood. They're going, we're God's people. He delivered us from Egypt. He promised us this land in perpetuity and we will never lose it. And But the promise of that land was a conditional promise. If you obey my laws, then you will keep this land, God told them in, in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. He goes, but if you disobey... You will lose the land. But they forgot that it was a conditional promise. This is God's land. We're his chosen people. And that's the only part of it that they remembered. And for us as Christians, we had to be careful. Yes, we're covered by grace. We're covered by mercy. We cannot lose our salvation. But that does not mean that God will allow us to continue to get away with things that don't honor him. And we need to be careful you know grace is not a license to sin as paul said he said should you sin god forbid <laughs> the grace of about he says god forbid and you know we need to be looking at how do we serve god and follow him now god is gracious when we do sin he is merciful when we sin but if we're purposely going out and sinning to see how far god's grace will last god's going to bring judgment and what that judgment will be who knows any number of things he finally took israel out of its place completely uh, and I think he does that with, with Christians as well. And it says, For the children of Israel, the children of Judah, have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. Israel, for the most part, was a very evil nation. Yes, they had their good points. Josiah was a good king. Hezekiah was a good king. Uh, <clears throat> David was a good king. Solomon started out and ended as a good king, but a lot of his reign was bad. But more often than not, they rebelled against God at every turn. And even when they had a good king, it was only a short reprieve for the life of that king. You know, saying, I'm going to honor God, and the people would honor it mostly probably for show. The king is honoring God, so we're going to honor God. But the hearts of the people never turned to God from everything we can see. Because as soon as the next the, son's king, uh, the king's son showed up and was bad, people wholeheartedly joined in on the bad. And this is the problem with human beings as a whole. We tend to want to do evil, even for those of us as Christians, if we're not fully in God's Word and worshiping Him, we will tend to do evil. Now we might not go as far into evil as those without the Holy Spirit in them would go, but we still will go, "ah." Eh, little compromise here a little compromise there and the next thing you know we're doing big compromises and it's natural and something that needs to be aware of the Jews have been doing it for get into the promised land and the first first couple hundred years they had the judges you know ruling over them they would do what's evil you know right in their own eyes and fall away from god get put into camp, you know get put into bondage cry out to god for help and god would raise up a judge once they got kings, it was a little different, but not, not, this, not much. They still worshiped after other gods. They still did everything against God and followed him during the time of Moses. All they did was complain. Now, here we are, Moses. You brought us out, into, you know, out here so that you could kill us. Over and over again, they, that was a refrain they kept giving to Moses. There weren't enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here. And that was their, and this is what God's saying, you have only provoked me over all these years, you have provoked me. And your children have done evil. And each generation seemed to get worse and worse with each generation. And this is where they're at right now. And God says, I have had it. And verse 31 says, for this city has been a provocation of of my anger and of my fear from the day that it they built it even unto this day that I should remove it from before my face. I'm kind of interested when I read this because technically the Jews did not build Jerusalem. It was built by the Jebusites and obviously it was an evil city then. David made it the capital and kind of brought it into line during his life. Solomon started out right and then he started building all the different idols to the gods of his wives and tore it down and from that point on they very they had idols in that city. Over and over again they had idols and temples and all the hills around Jerusalem had big temples to other gods. Sometimes they would be taken down, sometimes they wouldn't be taken down but and as soon as they took them down the next king will put them back up and these idols stood and God says since this, since it was framed I've been mostly angry at this at this city. And I just want to remove it. I want to get rid of it completely from my sight. And he's going to work on destroying it. Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy it. He goes, Because, verse 32, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to re- receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnan, and to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch, Which I commanded them not to do, commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And it's going, the evil of the children of Israel. They're doing all these things and they're provoking God to anger. God says, don't do it. And everything God said, don't do, they're doing. And it's hard to even picture what is going on. And yet... Even in my lifetime, I've watched America fall from honoring God mostly to practically not at all. And the next generation above me probably has to be even sadder than me to see how greatly and how quickly this country has turned their back on God. And God is saying, all these children that they have are turning their back. They're out to provoke me. And then he gives a long list. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You can't get much more full than that. All the people, their kings, and and all their leaders, both religious and secular, are doing what it takes to... And even the prophets, and this is what Jeremiah is having to fight. Every time he speaks for God, 10 or 20 guys stand up, and they give give their own prophecies that aren't of God, And they say the opposite of what Jeremiah is saying. And they say, this is from God. And the people believe them. Even though what they said does not match what God has said. And even in our world today, we're seeing so much of this going on. People speaking for God. And what they say is totally contrary to the word. And you're going, you're not speaking for God. Oh, yes, I am. You know you're not. It's not what it says. Well, that's just your interpretation of it. Now, and even when it's clear, I've been listening to different people trying to justify their unrighteous positions by pulling scriptures out of context and saying, saying things, and these are supposedly Christian leaders. Some of them are supposed to be good Christian leaders that are totally twisting the scriptures and destroying what God says. And then they say they speak for God. And this is causing confusion in the church because these people stand up and say, say crazy things that aren't scriptural. And it causes confusion in the world because they're going, okay, this Christian part of the Christian church says this, and you're you're supposed and you're a Christian and you're saying this, we're confused because you guys are saying two different things. And this is God is perfectly able to withstand it in the long run. It's not gonna harm him in the long run, but it does cause confusion. He was causing confusion before the king when Jeremiah would say, "Thus saith the Lord," and twenty guys would stand up and says, "Thus saith the Lord," and that's opposite of what Je- uh, Jeremiah was saying. Jeremiah kept saying, "This city is going to be destroyed," and and, and God has given it to in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. They're like, oh no, we'll we'll survive. We'll get we'll get through this because God is on our side and He's promised to protect us. And all of this stuff coming coming down. And verse thirty-three is a very very interesting verse. He says. You have turned your back to me and not your face. God says, I wanted to see your face. I wanted to see you living for me and you turned your back on me. Now, there are civilizations in place where turning your back on somebody was the most significant insult that you could give them. And even to us in this day is is pretty much an insult. If you're talking to somebody and they just turn their back to you, that's pretty insulting. It's not as insulting as other places, but God's saying, you have turned your back. I have talked to you. We were talking. And you turned your back to me. You are trying to ignore me. I, Though I taught them, raising up and early teaching them. You know, he said, I keep giving you prophets. I keep giving you instruction. Morning and night, day by day, I'm giving you instruction. And you have not hearkened to receive instruction. And this is some place where I see it so often even amongst Christians. I've watched people, when they start turning away from God, they start slipping away from coming to church and being taught. They start slipping from reading their Bible. They don't want to be taught. They don't want to be convicted. They turn their back and say, well, nope, not going to come, and you start, you'll, you'll watch them slip away from church. And. You know, not everybody who slips away from church, you know, is this, but you'll watch these people and you'll contact them, "Well, you know, I'm not sure I believe anymore. I'm just having fun with life," you know, and all these other excuses that they'll give you. And even when I had my backsliding, it was the same type of thing. I just stopped going to church and didn't really go deep into sin, but I just stopped going to church, stopped reading my Bible, stopped praying, and you know, why? Just turned my back on instruction. Yeah. I wasn't happy, I got offended by a couple people in church. You know, and workaholism didn't help any. <laughs> I got busy, nobody called me, nobody bothered to say they missed me, and got into a pity party, and the next thing you know, I just didn't wanna to go to church anymore. And it was my fault, You know, it, circumstances led to it, but it was my fault, and I accept that it was my fault. But God, Satan used other people's lack of loving care to get in as well. And this is why I'm really pushed. We need to recognize when somebody's missing to say, hey, we've missed you. Because Satan can use that so heavily against against us. It says, they have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to defile And we've talked about this in previous chapters. They literally put idols in the temple not necessarily in the Holy of Holies, but all over the temple where they're supposed to be offering sacrifices to God, they have these idols out there. And God is saying, my house. (laughs) You built this house for me. I never asked for it, but you built a house for me and you are putting abominable idols in my house. It says they built their their high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to, you know, and the Valley of Hinnom is later on going to be called the yeah the Valley of Jesus' day where they burnt the fire of the trash all the time. Can't remember the name off the top of my head. Gehenna. Hedron. Israel's Gehenna. Hedron. Hedron, well, the Hedron Valley is there too. So, But a perpetual fire. But it's not the same? I'm not sure. I is the valley just outside to the west of, of Jerusalem. Yeah. And that's where they fire burnt day and night for the trash of, of, of Israel. And this is the same place. Yeah. And it says, and they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch. So he says they're sacrificing their sons and daughters. And we've talked about Moloch. Moloch was a huge idol which had arms stuck out, that they would put their babies in, and then they would pull a lever, and the arms would pull back, and the babies would roll into the idol, which would have a fire built into it, and these t- children were burnt to death, you know, and they were put in their life. And this is, says, God says, I had never even wanted to see children being sacrificed. And he goes, I never commanded it, neither came it into my mind that they should do such an abomination. God says, I never even, I never dreamed of it being, being done. I never dreamed of saying I want it done. And yet, Lucifer was using it to be able to cause people to offer what God says is the most important. Satan wants to destroy people. Period. He doesn't care how he does it. You know, he, they, he used Moloch to be able to take their babies with the promise that if you do these things, you'll get more babies, you'll be successful in business and all the things that they did and the promise was you do this and greater things are going to happen. You're going to have to be prosperous. And they bought into it. They bought into it and this is the harsh reality that goes on that Satan twists so much in, in people's hearts to make things Look good, you know. Just do this, and this will be okay. You know, if you know, you know, hey, if you just do this little thing, it'll be okay. God will forgive you. You know, you'll just have a little bit of fun over here. You know, God will forgive you for it. Hey, Cain, you, know, you don't have to give the best of your best of your products. You don't have to give God the best and the, and the animal sacrifice. Give him the, give him your, be, you know, give him some of your fruits and grains, and he'll be. It'll be okay. Eve, look at that tree over there. It, it's good, it's really good fruit. And it'll make you like God. Over and over again, we see the same sins being put in front of people and ourselves as well. And the more we look at the sin, the greater the chance of being sucked into that sin is going to be. And it starts out just a little, just a little. You know, and said this so many times, if the consequences of the sins that we did hit us full force on the very first time we did it, we'd stop doing a lot of the sins we do. But we get away with it, and Satan uses that, you got away with it. You got away with it, just keep doing it. And before long, you're sucked into the sin, you can't get out without God's help, and, and you're now reaping the, the consequences of it. You know, and one of my favorites is the idea of gluttony. You know, if the weight that we put on from overeating all the time hit us immediately as soon as we ate the food, we wouldn't be gluttony. We wouldn't participate in gluttony. We'd go, uh-uh, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going I'm to put on nine, 19 pounds if I, you know, if I do that. But we just do it, and over a long period of time, we start putting on the weight. And you know, over a long period of any sin, we start getting sucked in and getting addicted to that sin to the point where we can't get by without it verse 36 and now therefore thus saith the Lord the God of Israel concerning this city, wherefore you say it shall be delivered into the, into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by famine and by pestilence behold I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fear or in my great wrath I will bring them out again unto this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give to them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for, for the good of them and of their children after them. So here God is making his promise. This is, he's now getting to the place of finishing his statement. Jeremiah, yes, this city is going into captivity, just like I told you. But he says, I'm going to bring him back. He goes... It shall be delivered into the hands by sword and by by famine and by pestilence. This has been uh, Jeremiah's recurring message from God. You're going to die by by battle. You're going to die by hunger and by disease. So God says, yes, this is going to happen. But he goes, behold, I will gather them from all countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in my great wrath. And I will bring them again to this place. Seventy years after Nebuchadnezzar conquers this the people, God starts sending them back, and they start coming back now in that time, many people are going to do what Jeremiah said and make their cities and, and make, make get settled in, and they get so settled in that their kids don't want to go back to Israel, so it doesn't get all of them, but a lot of them do come back when they were dispersed during the Roman destruction of jerusalem they were dispersed when they had this opportunity to come back in 1948 only a handful of them came back well lots of them but not a handful of the total jews but each year more and more jews are returning to israel and many of them i've met so many of them even in america that at the very least they want to visit israel and many of them want to go there and i think as anti-semitism starts crank, ratcheting up we're going to see more and more Jews returning to Israel saying, hey, you know, there may be enemies bombing it, but at least we're safe inside from, from other people. And God has said over and over again, I will bring all my people together and I will be their God. Just as he's saying here, I will be their God. He says, I will bring them again to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. And even in today's world, when you talk to people in Israel, most people will say the same thing. Even with the threats of bombs and, and, and all these different weapons, they still feel that it's a safe place to be. I feel safer. Yeah. You know, that's what they say all the time. I feel safe. Yeah. I feel safe here. Now, I've got to look up for bombs once in a while, but there's nobody out trying to, to kill me just because I'm a Jew outside of attacking from outside. <laughs> And but they all feel safe. And he says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. At this point in Israel's history, this part hasn't come true yet. That God will be their God. Most of the people in Israel are practicing atheist or agnostic at best. They really don't believe in God because they've had such a hard life. I understand where they're at they're, they've had a hard life people have tried to kill them over and over again and they're still trying to kill them they're still trying to make life miserable and the, and when you listen to some of these interviews uh, every once in a while they'll go yep we're living in the God that land you know they're talking about not believing in God and not having a God but we're living in the God, land that God gave us <laughs> they, they, they're very interesting in the way they bring these these things together and not fully understanding And then God says, I will give them one heart and one way that they should may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children. God says, I will be the one that does it. I will give them one mind, one heart, one way. Right now, that is not true. Even in Christian circles, it's not true. And God, we, we should have one way in Christian circles. But yet, People are falling further and further away from the idea that Jesus is the the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, as Jesus said, to, well, you know, if you just do enough good, you're gonna be okay. You know, well, we don't really believe that there's these sins, you know, you can go live the way you want. You can be a fornicator, an adulterer, homosexual, transgender, no problem, God's still gonna love you. They throw away God's word. And once you start doing that, you forget that there's only one way. And God says there is one heart, your innermost being, the soul, of where you're at. And he goes, I will give them these that they may fear me forever. And I love this. For their good and for their children's good. And I really accept this because God says over and over again that there's a generation that follows a generation. And oftentimes... As long as you're following correctly, the next generation takes where you're at. And I can go the other way as well. If you're evil, your next generation is usually more evil than the previous generation. And until something happens spiritually to change that, it will continue in a downward cycle. And I've seen it the other way. When when there's a good, strong Christian family that are praying together, studying the Bible together, actually living out God, those children, come along at a much higher position as well because they get to start as the pilgrim said they start on the shoulders of the previous generation so they don't have to go all the way down to ground zero like we did when I first got saved there was nobody in my family that was saved nobody outside of my great my grandmother -grandmother, great-grandmother nobody else in my family was saved everything I learned I had to learn firsthand and directly my kids on the other hand have learned from me since they were you know from their beginning they had a good strong foundation to start on and this is important what foundation do these kids have when they get to make it be adults it's not a guarantee just because we give them a good foundation that they're going to continue moving in the right direction they still have their free will they can still make a decision and by the same token there have been some really good people come out of really bad families and you're going, wow, I don't, how did you get out of it? I have no idea. By the grace of God, I got out of it. And you look at other people, how did your child go that direction? Their choices. They chose not to, not to listen. But we do want to set down a foundation saying, this is what I want you to start with. And God says that this idea of loving me and fearing me is for your good and for your children. When you walk with God, you raise them up, it will be for their good as well. And I understand very clearly that each child has to make their decision. And I've said this more than once. Every child that grows up in a Christian home has to come to a point where they decide, I believe this rather than mom and dad believed it. And hopefully it comes earlier than later. Because if it's too late, then they'll make the wrong decision. They'll walk away from it because it's not theirs. And this is very important. When the young child is asked, why do you believe something? They have to be able to give their reason for for it. Not, well, mom believes this, dad believes this, the church believes this. What do you believe? Why do you believe? And this is why I am so big on the why. Why do you believe what you believe? Explain it. And I've said it over and over again. I don't want a church full of people that agree with me on every point. I want them to be able to say, if they don't agree with me, why don't you agree with me? Now, I know almost all the different points and, you know, different directions people can go, and I know what they're going to say and why they'll say it, and that's fine. We all have to wrestle with what we believe at some point. How do I believe? Why do I believe? And it's very important to do that. My dad and I, my dad was my major disciple once he got saved, but we don't agree on every point of doctrine. Most of it we agree with. There's a few key points that we don't agree with. Nothing that will keep us out of heaven. But there's a few points where, well, he's dead now, but that we didn't agree with. Yeah, he's got all the answers now. He, he, he will be right now the next time I see him. But then again, I will be then too. So, But all of this comes down to, he says, I've made these covenants for their, for your good. We need to really understand when God gives us something, it is for our good. He gives us a rule, it's for our good. It's not as the world tries, well, God is just trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from having a good time. No, God says, what I'm giving you is for your good. And when we raised our kids, oftentimes our kids would go, you're just trying to keep me from having fun. You don't want me to be like all the other kids. And I'm going, my, I go, yeah, I don't want you to be like all the other kids. But I want you to be a righteous follower of God. Yeah, well, You're just keeping me from having fun. I go, no, I'm not keeping you from having fun. I'm keeping you from hurting yourself. Plain and simple, I do not want to see you hurt. I know you don't understand that, but that's the way it is. I don't want to see you hurt. This is what God says. All of this is for your good. And I put it in that they shall not depart from me. So God says, I'm going to give you all this for your good and that you will not depart. And this is the wonderful thing. God is looking for us to be sound in our faith and to seek after him. Verse Verse 41 Yea, I will rejoice over them to, to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord Like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring unto them all the good that I have promised them. And the field shall be bought in this land. Therefore, you say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and in the places of, about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and the cities of the mountains and the cities of the valleys and the cities of the south for I will cause their captivity re- to return says the Lord. So here's his final statement. This is, this is why I had you do it, Jeremiah. All right. He goes, and I love this, Yea, I will rejoice over them. Most people never picture God as rejoicing over them. You know, most people think God tolerates us, that he cares for us, but over and over again, God says, I rejoice over you. And I kind of, I struggle sometimes picturing that of God, that he's up there rejoicing. That's my child, that's my child. Look what they're doing, look what they're doing. You know, unfortunately, usually when when we're that way, we're not doing what we should be doing, but God rejoices to do good for us. He rejoices over us. And this is the beautiful thing. He says it more than once. I rejoice, I will joy over them with singing, he says in Isaiah. The Psalms talk about him rejoicing over over his people. God takes delight in his people. And I can almost picture the grandpa and the grandma showing off the pictures of the grandkids, you know, knowing the grandkids get into trouble a lot, but this is my grandkids. See them? This is them playing baseball. This is them playing soccer. This is them, you know, shopping or watching TV or cooking or whatever it might be that they're rejoicing over them. My wife's really good about that. If you give her half a moment, she'll show you all the pictures of the grandkids over and over again. Uh, this is God rejoicing. That's my child. That's my child. Satan, did you see that? That's my child down there. All right. Uh, Rejoice, I I will rejoice over them to do them good and I will plant them in this land assuredly as my whole heart and with my whole spirit. So his innermost being of God says, I'm going to bless my people. I'm bringing them, I'm bringing them back and I'm going to plant them back in this land. And For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought this great evil upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I have promised. I promised them evil for their discipline. I'm also promising them that I'm going to restore them. And both are going to be equally true and great, great discipline, great blessing is coming. For us as Christians, our greatest blessing is that we get to go to heaven. Greatest blessing. I can't even fathom what heaven's going to be like, but you know what? It's going to be a whole lot better than here. And God says it's perfect. And if God says it's perfect, there's going to be someplace to go. And that is our ultimate destination. That's our home. And this is the important thing about it. When, When a Christian dies, it's a blessing that we don't really fully understand because God is bringing them home. They're out of this world that they don't belong into and they now get to go into the world they belong into and I'm looking forward to the day that I can actually be there experiencing that great promise that he says my whole heart is designed to give this for you his whole heart was designed to build us you know, send us before we were even created he had already decided what was going to happen he decided Jesus was going to die for sin so that we could go to heaven after, our, after the fall, and he did it willingly. Jesus went to the cross willingly. The Father sent him to the cross willingly so that we would be completely blessed and be able to be planted in his good. And that is hard to picture. It is very hard to picture. And it, but God says, even though I have done this evil, I will have a equal great blessing in the future. Now it's partially fulfilled 70 years later when the uh, Medo-Persians and Darius and Cyrus send them back home. And it's partially finished in 1948 when they come back. But it will be completely finished during the Millennial Kingdom when all the Jews are really put to rest and all the blessings that God has promised them occur. Over and over, partials, but the great fulfillment is coming. And this is what he says: The fields shall be bought in this land. Therefore, I say it is. Therefore, you say it is desolate without man and beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. But he says, Men shall buy fields for money, and subscribe evidences or record the 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 t- documents in the land of Benjamin, the city, and the places about Jerusalem, and the cities of Jeru- Judah, and in the mountains and all the other places. He goes, Jeremiah. You've complained that it's a waste of time buying this land and putting the deed out, but I will bring them back and land will be sold and titles will be dealt with and it'll all happen again and go, Jeremiah, you've got your title already in place. You're probably not gonna see it, but your descendants will get to see and redeem the land that you bought. And God is making making that promise. We're going into captivity but it's not the end. And, you know, we need to really realize that as Christians, no matter what comes our way, God is not done. Whether good or bad, it doesn't really matter. No matter how much good we have in this land, in this world, it is still nothing compared to what we're looking at in heaven. And no matter how bad things get, it's nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like. And we need to really understand that God causes their captivity to return. If he puts us into a captivity, he has a plan and will return it. If we feel like everything is going against us, we're we're having as hard a time as Job did, God turns it around. Because even in the story of Job, Job receives everything back that God took took from him. Now, he's a picture of heaven, you know, getting into heaven at that point. But God's made a promise that we will receive the blessings. He will get us out of captivity. How did he do it for, most people, for, the, for the world? Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and taken out of the captivity of sin and brought into the fullness of the righteousness of God, concluding with entering to heaven for that perfect state of mind after we after we've passed from this world. The greatest activity of captivity being taken, conquered, was Jesus dying on the cross. He conquered death and says, here's your opportunity to live forever. The great, great blessing at the end. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Help us to go about your business. Help us to learn to just trust you more and more with all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen listening friends do you know God not just know about him today is the day to decide to become his child God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins in Romans 3:23, we are told for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God we all have sinned God says the penalty for sin is death Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord we sin and deserve death and hell